millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to the AEW Wrestle Dream Review. We are the Dudley Boys of What Culture. I'm Adam Wilborn, joined by Michael Hanford and Michael Cedric to review everything that happened at this weekend's AEW Wrestle Dream Review. We're live on our very own What Culture Wrestling Podcast YouTube channel. If you haven't done so already, make sure you subscribe so you can send us questions because we'll be answering them as we go along as well. Uh, and as well as this, of course, we are going to be releasing this as an audio podcast, What Culture Wrestling, wherever you get your podcast from as well. But we are a few days removed, Sage, from AW Wrestle Dream. What did you make of the show? I thought it was fantastic, mostly. I should say, I don't want to be the you know negative guy, but I'm not at the same time, that when people were saying, at least in my replies on X, that this was the show of the year, show of the year, <laughs> I was like, well, it's great, but I don't think it hit the heights of revolution. And I think once the, you know, I love recency bias. It makes me feel alive. I think a lot of people should display it. It means you've had fun. I think once that subsides, people will realize that Revolution was better. All Out was probably better. But, and I can't wait to go in depth on this later, retention. This had <laughs> uh, the best match of the lot, maybe even of the year. Match of the year. Match of the year. Um, <laughs> Danielson's LSJ. We'll, yeah. we'll wait. Bit of retention. <laughs> Yeah, like three. We talk about the AW quality bar quite a lot. There was three matches that I've seen different arguments for being match of the year. So that in itself like puts this out there as one of the shows of the year. But I get, as we go through, we'll say, I get where Sidgwick's coming from. We spoke about this over the desks a bit this morning. You can be really high on loads of the individual components of a show, and I think we're about to be, but maybe slightly lower, just slightly lower than consensus on all the excitement after the fact. Like a fabulous first entry into the Wrestle Dream canon if it's going to become an annual event. As it we, is. As like most of these ones will now. It you know, is, like it is, he's already said. You kind of, you're debuting big shows and you want to set them off right, don't you? So this is, this has set the standard very high for like next year and the years after Wrestle Dream. Yeah, indeed. Uh, thanks to everyone in the comments uh, for sending stuff in already. I'll try and get to as many of them as we can whilst we go through this show. But let's uh, start with the two-on-one handicap match for the uh, ROH World Tag Team Titles, MJF versus... The Righteous, being Dutch and Vincent, <laughs> and MGF delivering on his promise to shove one of them's heads up the other one's arse. I got worked by this. I'm thinking, how's he going to do that? He isn't. He's just going to do a slapstick spot. Um, for what it was, this could not have gone any better. It was... I'm trying to think of an analogy here. Imagine, like, a really technically accomplished guitar solo without any kind of actual music group accompaniment to create this full song. I really appreciated and was kind of in awe of MGF's ability to create the spectacle, 
this like really loud, engaging story. It could have been against anyone. If I'm being brutally honest, I think at this point with Better Than You, Baby on hiatus, this felt like it was already a debate about, is this kind of stuff beneath the world title? I mean, it's such a money spinner, this act, that of course they're not going to, you know, abandon it, even though it's on hiatus. We're in this weird sort of, I don't know, hinterland of whether this is worthy or not, whether at this point there's even any point in doing it. I think that, and I'm going to get it, so I'm trying not to be a goldfish. We are going to get um, MGF versus JY. It is going to be incredible. We are going to get meaty main event stuff, which has happened, you know, one week singles, the other tag. Like, it's been a nice sort of formula to it. Um, but at the same time, I just thought, this isn't so good that I deem it a completely valuable use of MGF's time. I get that. But mm. this was one of the highlights of the night for me, quite honestly. I am I'm just in awe of what MJF is doing at the moment. And it's great. Obviously, he's probably gonna work a little bit less on Dynamite now as he tries to find the compromise between the guy that was working all the time alongside Adam Cole versus the one that wants to work a little bit less as the world champion. Um so I kind of felt that this was maybe one of the only opportunities on this show because this story is still the best thing in the company where you get to see the best of the television product supplanted on this card that was otherwise a series. You know, in the title of the show, the dream matches. There were other examples. Uh, I felt a sense of relief, truthfully, when I was watching it, the way this was agented, that I don't have to worry about the righteous featuring too prominently in AEW. Like, they're fine, I guess, for Ring of Honor. There are people that love this act, allegedly. There are people that like this style of wrestling, allegedly, you know, that like want it on a mainstream setting like AEW. I don't, so I was quite pleased to see them beaten here, and this wasn't something where they decided last minute to be like, you know what, a handicap situation is where a team like the Righteous can take advantage and can play up to um, the skit, which people were identifying might have had a bit of law in it, like mm -hmm. they did the cut out of the people, and it was like, look, you can identify that that one's MJF and that one's Adam Cole. Like, I didn't like it when lots of other prominent characters did stories like this. I don't particularly want to see it folded into the Better Than You Baby universe mm -hmm. any more than this one night. So it was possibly with a sense of relief as I was watching it that this was played so much for laughs that I knew that this was going to be a one and done for the righteous. I just love MJF so more, so much more than any other character in AEW. It's the, the, the gap at the moment between how much I care about what he's doing and virtually anybody else is very, very wide. So as much as I would like him in a title match and in something serious and, and all he'll that. He'll get it. And I'm imminently. That's it. I'm going to get it because I just yeah. think he showed me here that he can even do like house show adjacent comedy and it can just feel like one of the most fun things on a card. Yeah, that sort of personifies my feelings towards this show. They're such fed heads. I love MJF. I love everything that MJF's saying involved saying in. He's saying he's like WWE adjacent, MJF. Is that suggesting I'm just he's suggesting that this was the most WWE pilled thing on the show <laughs> <laughs> and it was I said this on the Dynamite review last week uh, I just kind of feel indifferent to large parts of AW outside of the MJF verse um, there was obviously flashes on this show of matches that I mean they could have had no story there was obviously a history between ZSJ and I mean, Brian Danielson it's a story let's could, not get into that but they could have they could have had what I'm saying is they could have had no story and the match was so sensational it didn't matter but there are other parts on this show where I thought this is really entertaining and good wrestling but because I'm just not really invested in parts of it I just it just sort of seemed to be happening in front of me but we'll get into it when we get to, to those parts of the show um I want to jump into the questions I want to try and bounce Back, back and forth between this, but I want to ask this one now so I don't forget it later. It's from Johan Benson. 
first question I can see on our on our little things when we uh, start the live stream. Is John Moxley the greatest commentator ever? Hamlet, do you want to take this one? Uh, well, no. I don't think he is. Um, he's not the worst ever, but he was the worst on this show. Wow. Only edging out Nigel McGuinness, who was also terrible. Um, <laughs> my complaints about John Moxley are focused predominantly on a match that we're going to heat praise on. Zack Sabre Jr. versus Brian Danielson. But it is a match that I could have happily... It was so good, I could have happily watched it on silent. And I kind of wish I had. Because I just wished that John Moxley would make his point and then shut up for a while. I wish Nigel McGuinness would shut the f*** up about this story with Brian Danielson. I get it. You were trying to work yourself into the spot. You almost had Wembley. You took that picture in the gate. It was amazing. I get it. Stop telling your own story. Maybe tell theirs instead. Excalibur was certainly trying to when he was allowed to get a word in. Like, <laughs> I like two moments from John Moxley's thing. Uh, enormous, thunderous, wake the kids up pop at him believing that um, Kenny Omega and that MMA guy were going to have a match on Dynamite. Mighty Mouse. Such is the belief in the scope of Tony Khan's matchmaking that he saw that graphic and thought, oh, we're doing that class. Like, Massive pop, and because he's a star, he knew to put his feet up on the camera and drop an almighty holy <laughs> so much so that pop Jim Ross. You can't swear on this, can we, Nicholas? Okay, thank god. Uh, old misery for me in the edit, it's fine, don't worry about it. Old misery, Jim Ross even had a grumpy Jim Ross even had a big old laugh yeah. at that because like he popped JR and Jim Ross was a misery in that match as well. So it was a bad night for commentary for me. And I wasn't charmed by John. No, I swore. I mean, beer. I'll pay you stinking fine. I'll say the S word again. Like, despite what I've just done there, swearing is not necessarily big or clever. <laughs> and it didn't impress me. And I don't like the Blackpool Combat Club. So I don't like John Moxley as a cheerleader. Like, I just, you little piss drenched oh, f***ing. Like, oh, I'm fighting dead hard and dead cool. It's all regal adjacent because they love him so much. They love him so much. When I go back to NXT with him, wrestle with his son in Drew Gulak, boring vignettes. Like, I don't like that aspect. Like, I didn't want that John Moxley ever. I was just stuck with it because they just bend hour for William Regal. Like, it's, he's gone now. Can we just get back to being like, you know, well, to be honest, like I could do without John Moxley for a little while. We've always had loads of him and he'd be a great character to take a break. Get well soon, for Christ's sake. Yeah. This is not me shooting on John Moxley. I was just not charmed in the way that everybody else was <laughs> by how bloody wacky he is. I feel like a complete arsehole for enjoying this now. Thank you. I thought that... It was only uh, on the outlier. Well, it's my turn to talk. <laughs> I thought John Moxley was genuinely really effective and funny, getting himself over, yes, but what I appreciate about commentary of this caliber during a technical wrestling match, and Taz wasn't there at the booth at the time, but he's wonderful at this. He was great during uh, Thatcher versus Danielson, is that I love technical wrestling. I can infer very easily what hurts through the majestic selling of a Brian Danielson, but I don't know the minutiae of why someone moving almost imperceptibly to my eye to guard themselves or to mm. thwart an attack or why a pressure is being applied to a certain body part from a certain angle or whatever would specifically really hurt or why, oh my God, that person is in peril. And I love that great commentary that can illuminate this. I was very much charmed by the dynamic. I didn't think Nigel McGuinness completely went into business for himself, and indeed they might even be building this long-term, so he might, he might be in on a grander plan, the you know the stages of which we are not completely au fait yet. But he did a phenomenal job, in my opinion, when I was watching it of, it was like the spoiler, where, you know, when someone loves to point out that something's bad, like him in the commentary, and quite frankly me with WWE in the bloodline, <laughs> so it does go both ways. 
like someone who's just really insistent, oh, it's going to go wrong, this, it's going to go wrong. His insist, oh, his arm's knackered, his arm's knackered. Look, he's leaving it there, he's leaving it there. Like, I thought he was excellent at mm. selling the peril faced by um, Brian Danielson. And John Moxley, I think he did a bit of the technique and why things hurt and why he shouldn't do certain things. Yes, he rambled, but for me, that was part of his charm. Um, I thought the commentary, other than Jim Ross, who had, oh, this is quite physical action, that was the extent <laughs> of his input. I, re- I thought the commentary really did well. Like the coming, the standing up bits for different... Re- I just thought it was a really good overall presentation in terms of the commentary. The McGuinness thing for me extends out beyond that match. Like, I've found him to be... It's Mark Lawrenson. He's, he's an <laughs> absolute vibe killer. Like, and he seems to um, luxuriate in doing so. When he got the... Uh, was it the Ring of Honor show over WrestleMania weekend? I remember at the time it was like, oh, Nigel, you can switch off your WWE tendencies. It's okay to have fun here. <laughs> like, <laughs> as if it was this WWE curse that had been placed on him from being sat next to Mauro Ronaldo that long. That, that excuse is gone now. It's him. This is the character he's choosing to play. And uh, to Sidgwick's point, like, at least it makes sense within the context of Brian Danielson because if, I do believe he is building that match and it's all supposed to count. Yeah, him. yeah. You know, he's supposed to understand the law between those two men. So I can, like, extend him a bit of leeway there. Like, what a vibe killer he was during the swerve entrance. Like, banging on about Prince Nana trying to get himself over. Why are you talking in those terms? A bunch of people like this dance. And if anything, the contrast with swerve is what makes it great. And he comes yet, off even more cruel next to Nana yeah, to Swerve. Yeah. He's already done the heelish thing of stopping him on Dynamite. Yeah. I, I just I get that out of Nigel a lot. And I don't know if it's that thing where he's he's got to win. You know, he's he's got to sort of he's got to win every conversation, every argument. And I don't think that's a welcome presence at the desk. And there was loads of that for me in that dinosaur match. I think Moxley was very entertaining, particularly with the uh, Demetrius Johnson stuff, obviously. What? <laughs> and, uh, I just think he maybe needs to, like you say, just maybe let other people let it breathe, let his commentary breathe a little more because I think the analysis that he brought in, like you said, Sitch, was was really useful. So I suppose generally what we're trying to say is good work, but maybe take on board some advice from other uh, commentators t- such as Taz, and maybe he'll have a somewhat of a oh, teachable moment, teachable moment. Not a bad person to learn from. Well, NXT Jones over here. <laughs> yeah, can't wait for the brutal takedown of their NXT's commentary tomorrow. <laughs> Not, no time. Eddie Kingston uh, versus Katsuyori Shibata. Uh, Braun versus the man who got his brain removed uh, for the ROH World Championship and the Strong Open Weight Championship. I was just so happy for Eddie Kingston with this match. I was just happy watching it without it being a great blow-away match. Um, again, to put over the commentary, which is really good throughout the night, Excalibur <laughs> made a great point um, that really helped this idea that there are so many titles and now so many worthy people holding them that if you are going to put a match on an AEW pay-per-view, oh, oh, we kind of have to beat a champion here. Like, Shibata and Hangman Page both got beat, and they both hold titles, and this is a problem because no one really cared that champions got beat. Well, championships must be out in this company, or most of them at this point, if people don't complain about that, when they're not even, when people don't even have, like, sort of the passion or the heart, or even the memory to think about a title holder losing, which should be a massive deal, the, the meaningless, beyond meaningless. However, Excalibur did point out, you know, Kingston has exhausted all of his rule breaks. If this was held under pure rules, mm. he would be in deep, deep trouble. I thought, Excalibur, I want to put him over so much. He is incredible what he does. He's, in my opinion, the runaway best commentator of the century. And I think just the little detailed thoughts he puts in to just explain things away or to justify things or just to make 
everything we're watching better is fantastic. I really liked um, the story here that Shibata was clearly the superior mat wrestler. Eddie Kingston was mainly fighting on just total pride, spirit, and instinct. And that feeds into the fact that he exhaust, exhausted all the rope breaks. He just com had complete dominion over Kingston on the mat. But... What I love about uh, Shibata is that he's obviously not going to hit as hard. He's obviously not going to go 35 minutes. He's not quite the same, but he's still got that personality, mm. that sort of distinct, like he's a he's a dick. The character of Shibata is a bit of a cruel dickhead, and him doing the Kawada kicks was his undoing because obviously Kingston was going to fire up, and he obviously won with the, um, the power bomb and the high stack pin. Really nice little story. Um, that sounded condescending, I'm sorry. This was not a blow-away great wrestling match, but I was just very, very happy to watch them do the basics very, very well. Yeah, I didn't feel much for this, but Eddie Kingston obviously did, so mm -hmm. I could feel something for that. Um, I love that finish now where he wobbles them with the hurricane to set up the powerbomb. That's great. That's a great one. Like the, the, the capturing of them, knowing he controls them body enough to know that he's about to go to ground. He's like, no, 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 back you come. And then he drills it. That's a really great the, kind of combo finish for this kind of like super powered version of Kingston. The guy's got two belts having just fought to try and get one. It's a nice... I think, like, character move for him to have that now was a way, like, he's going to absolutely kill you. I didn't feel much within the body of the match, truthfully. This was like, you know, we talk, it's, it's nice to do stuff for, for the boys. You know, that's the phrase, isn't it? Like, this was for the locker room, specifically for at least one of the wrestlers here. Good for them, less so for me. Uh, the inconvenient truth about the Hurricane is that a lot of wrestlers, uh, wrestling finishers operate on a weird kind of emotional logic where, I mean, the people's elbow looked stupid, <laughs> but it was over because of the force of personality of the person who did it. Judas effect, I guess. It's nowhere near like Andrade's elbow. And the Hurricane, I've never really bought it. It's like, it's, I've never went, oof. I've never winced at the Hurricane, realistically. The punker. That was the one, wasn't it? The, the start of the match. Yeah. He's, he's killed. That's not on. That's yeah. not on. That's a <laughs> so I do like the idea that he's using that as a stage to another finisher. I think maybe he was overdue one. Mm. Uh, shout out to Just Giggle It, by the way, who's sneakily listening to this whilst at work. Great. Great. Uh, we'll talk next, Sage, about the TBS Championship match. Chris Statlander challenging, uh, sorry, being faced by uh, Julia Hart. Of course, a nice sort of history with Julia Hart and Statlander going into this. And I think Julia Hart, we, we've said this for quite some time on our um, Dynamite and, and uh, Collision reviews and what have you. She's come on leaps and bounds, hasn't she? Uh, which is tough for her because she's gone for the next six weeks at least. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not, I, my brain is wired in a very pessimistic way. I do suffer from anxiety. Um, I'm just a bit of a miserable sod to begin with. But it's all informed, mostly anyway. Like, I'm trying to be rational about it. This The the cycle is someone will get pushed at pay-per-view level, they will lose the match, and then they do nothing. There wasn't really a story to this, realistically, and, and when is that ever the case? And I couldn't shake, I couldn't shake the feeling of, this is so bittersweet. That was my word for this match because I think Julia Hart's done a fantastic job of conveying her presence on TV in the build-up to this match. I think she's done a great job of, like, putting her matches together as this character. Like, it's not blow away great. It's not some incredibly scorching, epic back and forth down the stretch. It's a really well-told story that she's got the fans on board with. They were invested throughout. It's pretty atypical of the atmosphere surrounding such matches in this really apathetic women's division. I thought she, again, did a really, really good job. We got this is awesome chance, which didn't feel like conditioning because, if anything, these fans have been conditioned to 
not think AEW women's wrestling is awesome. Um, and I just thought, oh, it sucks that you're going to get cycled out of this storyline and out of AEW programming for about six weeks. Like, much like Willow Nightingale did after she got rave reviews for her performance. Yeah. It was a death before dishonor yeah. against Athena. Everyone thought, oh, well, that's a start or something. No, it's not. It never is. So I uh, really good, but it was almost like more frustrating how good it was because it doesn't matter if it's good, bad, or indifferent. The person who gets over goes under in six weeks' time. It's a big gallows humor. And if all. she isn't, I'm still right. Because it would be a rule-proving exception. Mm. Well, and it, let me just check. That was the uh, yep, the only women's match on this show. Like, it's a bit of gallows humor, or maybe a sad irony that the chance that Julia Hart has of staying on television is because she's with some guys. Like, yeah. she's with the House of Black. So, like, as a presence, she could at least be there. But I think what's been so cool about this Julia Hart run was that not that that was all she was, because she was a very valuable presence for the House of Black. But you ha- you just weren't informed or encouraged to take her as a serious threat yeah. in the ring. And yeah, like for all that her some of her stuff has been not basic, but just like, n- there's been very little standout about her in-ring, but the way she's applied her character to it has made her matches stand out. And I think that's been what's been so fantastic about this Julia Hart mini run. Um, maybe the trick here to try and sustain this push, because I thought this match was a really tremendous bit of business. Like the women's division so often has to work with the disadvantage of a dead crowd or not much of a story. Um, and they did fight to get this crowd invested. The, uh, like, as much as I would love to give them credit, I feel like the Chris Statlander was the last person to beat a thing was kind of a happy accident. And they've maybe seen that and thought, oh, right, this is a good time to yeah. do that match, you know? Like, use that from when the rankings used to be a thing. Uh, Statlander's, you know, her and Tony Storm, kind of the like, safest pair of hands on this roster that you're guaranteed going to get something good. But yeah, if you have a stable that are going against the House of Black, that also have a female associate or also have somebody that they can bring in, that's at least a way to have like a, a sideline program al- alongside the trios division. It shouldn't be that way. You should just be able to have this character get rewarded with something else to do. I do share Sidgwick's cynicism, but I liked how they were even creative with their, like they brought Statlander into Julia Hart's world, not the other way around. She had to counter the Black Mist. That's a great spot. Like such yeah. a such an inspired... Slapped out of her mouth, yeah, basically. That's like, that is, that is telling you, the viewer, that Julia Hart's gimmick is more important than Chris Statlander's and Statlander the champion. It's that old thing about, uh, you know, you've got to beat the champion. The champion doesn't have to beat you. No, the champion had to beat Julia Hart and like have an attack in mind and she did and she beat her with that. So she didn't just prove herself as this great wrestler. She proved herself as like a thinking woman's champion as well. Mm. So this was an over-delivery, but you don't then want to just be told that. All right, time to cycle off Julia Hart now. It'd be a real shame for her. Just reading some of the comments here. Uh, TJ Hare says, love to see you guys live. Cheers. Uh, Thank you. Shout out to a pleasant discourse. He says, listening whilst loading up my mail truck. Um, Barry Grennan says, the dad is always deliver. All right, boys, you're keeping me sane on paternity leave with kid number two. Cheers. Cheers, Barry. Uh, and Ryan B says, Will Warner. Barry. <laughs> Ryan, speed, Barry. Ryan B says, Will Warner is 10 times as annoying live as he is on air. Well, that's right, Ryan. We're live here on YouTube. <laughs> it's, uh, it's just gone. He hasn't even done a bit yet. It's just he? gone 352, which actually means. Uh, right, let's move on um, to what some people are saying, Sige, was the best. The second best, in fact, four-way tag team match of the weekend. <laughs> right. I'm, World I'm, tag I'm team. hating doing the podcast this week. The Young Bucks. What a surprise. Subscribe to the channel. Um, young Bucks. <laughs> um, they, they haven't won out like, for what feels like years at this point. I know you're doing a bit, but it's actually really stupid. <laughs> like They've lost so often on pay-per-view. It's not they even did, funny. Yeah, they did lose all Revolution. Yeah. 
All in. Uh, double or nothing. Should I continue? No, I think that's, that's pretty much it. They, yeah, they defeat the Lucha Bros, uh, the Guns, and Orange Cassidy and Hook, which means that they will challenge the tag team champions. We'll not spoil that result just yet. FTR. Um, <laughs> later on. But uh, what did you make of this one? Not a great deal, if I'm being brutally honest. Like, I've got a level of expectation uh, for the Young Bucks. Like, I'm, I'm a complete dickhead. I know this. Like, I'm a really exacting critic. When I know someone is capable of just absolute 10 out of 10 brilliance, and they do a 7, I'm like, oh, what the hell are you doing that for? This was good, but the Phoenix thing kind of bummed me out. Um, I mm. later understood that it was basically a way of preserving him ahead of the singles match with Nick Jackson on Wednesday. But the problem with doing that kind of work is that it's all too convincing. Like, even before Phoenix had this latest injury or crop of injuries, he's always had these spells where it's like, oh, God, he's banged up and he's missing ring time. So I just thought, all right, okay, well, he's knackered again. That's great. He's um, holding, like, the corrupted belt as well. That yeah. Think, oh, God, God, two in a row, that's cursed. <laughs> Look, I expect from the Young Bucks, particularly when they're working some kind of multi-man scenario for this just inimitable, giddy head rush where you lose your mind in minute five, and then you cannot believe what you're seeing in, like, minute 12. And this was nice and exciting, and a few bits of, like, wit went throughout, like, the guns doing the New Age Outlaws bit was really yeah. a nice, good, deep cut. So it was an entertaining party match, but, my God, like, the Young Bucks, at their very best, are capable of just stupefying me, and I didn't get that rush. I think that's it. This was this card was set up to have something of everything and maybe be, like, one of these all-time goated pay-per-views, and the, this, you know, everything needs that sort of variation, and here was the party match to be the best version of a Young Bucks party match to ensure that this card did go on to be an all-time great. And that's why the card probably falls short for me because it, it wasn't. You know, if, like, it's... WrestleMania 17 had the gimmick Battle Royal, not just for fun and nostalgia, but for a little bit of a purpose. Not only could it quiet the crowd down, but it became this thing that, it, like, deserved its place on this card with so much variation. I'm not so sure this did deserve its place, ultimately, and I thought it did going in. Like, I really thought, well, great, this makes absolute sense. There's nothing else on this show like this match. But it kind of, from an in-ring, from an inventiveness point of view, it felt a little bit short. I didn't think it was a particularly good night for Orange Cassidy and Hook. And there is going to be some crosshairs on the booking of Orange Cassidy, like, rightly or wrongly. Uh, since he lost the international title, I think there's going to be people focused on that, being like, right, how is the follow-up here from this incredible wrestler and this incredible story? I don't think they had a particularly great night. I did love, I was going to isolate the gun spot for praise, but like... Those spots that you isolate for praise were in slightly short supply. Yeah. I'm way more excited for Nick Jackson and Ray Phoenix on Dynamite. You're not meant to isolate spots for praise in a match like this. You're meant to forget the 8 out of 10 ones yeah. and just think about the 10 out of 10s, and it just didn't have that rush factor, really. Any questions? Right challenges, though. Like, I, I think about it now at the time, I was like, oh, that again? But I sort of have really come around to the match that's the outcome of the Young Bucks winning. I think that the... I think that everybody is feeling that, like, that mutual malaise with the Young Bucks. Aren't you? Well, if you're telling me you're kind of tired of all this, then maybe I'm tired of all of it too, and that's going to potentially inform something great in the uh, the FTR feud. Yeah, I think that's the, the big picture stuff with, with Young Bucks winning this. Hopefully means what we've been crying out for oh. for a long time in terms of a term for the books should be on the card soon enough. CJ Hare says, have the guns had a better year than the Young Bucks? Uh, Without you even considering that well, not really, things. not really. The, the, the guns haven't done anything that could remotely hit the heights of All In or Anarchy in the Arena. They've done 
they've over-delivered while the Bucks have under-delivered. Mm. Both of those statements can be true, but to say the Guns have had a better there, better year than the Young Bucks, uh, nah, not for me. Yeah, the Guns are a growth. There's a different set of standards. They're a growth product right now, whereas uh, Bucks are kind of a stagnant one, but it doesn't take much to reheat no. them. Like the Guns, the next leap up now that they're in Bullet Club Gold and messing around, that's far bigger than the Young Bucks. Matt Michelson says, I've just rescheduled a meeting on my work calendar to make more time for this podcast. Thank you very much. Uh, I'll ask this now, even though it's in a weird order because I might miss it later, Sige. John Oldfield says, do you guys think ZSJ versus Danielson 2 will be at Wrestle Kingdom or All In? We talked about this Mm. and I've got a point to make. Trust me, I'm going to go, I'm going to praise this to the hilt. I thought this was a masterpiece. I'm not convinced Wembley is the best venue for this match. It's so intricate. Mm. And I'm not saying that they couldn't adapt it and make it a little bit broader. But if the idea is this match didn't really settle the idea of who's the best technical wrestler because it ended on a pretty brutal strike exchange. It's so... like that Some of the work is so imperceptible that I think I could watch it a third time. I've already watched it twice. I could already watch it and watch Danielson try and move his right arm to sort of reach out for a limb, but realize, oh, hang on, that's a trap because my arm's knackered. I've spotted at least two moments in my second watch of this match, um, and I think I could watch more and more. Like, this thing will just reveal more of itself to me the deeper I focus on it. It's like an actual work of dense, beautiful art in that respect, all of which is to say that in a stadium... It's hard enough to watch Kenny Omega do a Terminator dive yeah. mm-hmm. from a certain vantage point without looking at the screen, which is going to make you... You're going to react because you're seeing something amazing, but it's not quite seeing it like from 20, 30 feet mm. away. Yeah. If you're in the back row, or if you're in the upper bowl of Wembley Stadium and you're watching Danielson, for example, try and arch out of a hammerlock and realize, oh, I can't do it with my right arm. You've got no chance whatsoever <laughs> of seeing that. Yeah. Um, I think the audience that watched this, and it was like 6,000, like they could tweak it and do a great match in a stadium just to stress that again. The actual minutiae of this match would not play out in a stadium, I don't think. I think it's one of those things that sounds, you can put those things together. Great match in a stadium. Mm. That makes it better. Not in this case for me. The Tokyo Dome. It's a different story again, and it's been great to watch over the years, Zack Sabre Jr.'s Wrestle Kingdom matches, where he kind of catches the audience off guard with a particular reversal. Uh, they think they know that he's going to pivot left with an arm, and then he goes right, or he twists a wrist, and you just hear that ripple effect of like, because oh, apparently some, I've never been to the egg, but apparently some of like the positions aren't that great to see everything. So it's almost like a ripple effect where there's people at the back that catch it on the screen a couple of seconds afterwards. So you get this really nice effect of the people that can see gasping, and then it carrying right the way at the back. So I think there's evidence to suggest that this would go down well in the Tokyo Dome. I get where Sidgwick's coming from, but I, I think I disagree. Like, I think the... They would, the Wembley crowd would really like, based on what we had with Will Ospreay this year, enjoying Zack Sabre Jr. as this kind of homecoming of sorts. I didn't think Ospreay was going to be as revered as he was as just an English wrestler. He's doing Germans on the apron. And he now. went down. <laughs> but like his entrance <laughs> alone, you know, he was received. Like I didn't think he's going to get some I'm not saying like, that Zack Sabre Jr. is not going to be over. I'm not yeah. saying that at all. I'm saying the style of the match is a bit too intimate for such a huge backdrop. I, I'd also think if they're like, if they're the best practitioners of it, I think they'd enjoy tweaking that style. Maybe. To, to blow it up. As well, like the, so Zach was saying, like, what was it? Like, oh, Japan's his home away from home and England's his actual home. 
they're kind of telling you that one or the other feels like the next match. So I think Wrestle Kingdom's the rematch. I don't like. I don't know where you do the rubber match, but mm. I think Wrestle Kingdom feels like a smart place for the rematch. Danielson's wanted it, hasn't he? You know, he's desperately wanted that New Japan match. So Danielson and Carter's got to have another one, though. Oh yeah, I mean, it doesn't have to. You see it. Swerve Strickland put over a brief next year. Strickland faced Hangman Adam Page. Uh, Swerve Strickland, heroes welcome back home in Seattle, of course. Mm, yeah. Lovely that. I th- yeah. Cool. No, I was just, I was just, I just. I thought you do a recap. His, um, his no. entrance, the dance from Nana, despite the commentary, um, and yeah, hometown, always good that. Yeah, really, really, really great match. It was a, it was genuinely premised on the idea that this is a referendum for is Swerve a main eventer? And I made this point in ups and downs, which you can check out at whatculture.com slash WWE. Um, I've come to realize that there are so many eight out of tens. There are so many people on that threshold of. People talk them up. Are you a main eventer? Are you a headliner? It was Wardlow for much of 2020 and 2021 and 2022. Swerve is the latest to get that hype. We've had it with uh, Perry. We've had it with Guevara. We're having it with Starks. We've had it with Malachi Black. We've had it with Andrade. Like, how good are these people really? There's no shame in being a really strong upper mid-carder, but a lot of these wrestlers are absolutely insistent that they are, you know, him to use language that, you know, I'm just too old to do. (laughs) Swerve has put himself explicitly forward in the storyline as that guy, and I personally think he passed that test. It was a lot more deliberate at times, had a lot of runtime to burn through. It was really like nice to have it in Seattle, to give him, like, you're a promoter, you're meant to fake these things, give your wrestlers a head start. I thought you handled the pace and the pressure of a big match situation, like, superbly. That's the spot where, and again, AEW's got this tendency, they did it with Darby and Christian as well, when the wrestler's vulnerable because he's being tended to by the medical staff, that's the time to do the move. Christian and Swerve both did it. It's like, you know when certain people, you tell them a joke, and then they tell the joke because they think they came <laughs> up with it. Is that what the agents do in AEW? <laughs> it's ridiculous. But I love that spot more in the Swerve's um, hangman match where he's being tended to after the yeah. bump on the stairs, was yeah. it? And he's on the apron. He's like, I'm basically, I'm f- basically <laughs> and that's when Swerve decides to do that gruesome looking um, double foot stomp what I loved about that was like it was so in character because Swerve and this is ambitious is trying to put himself over as this remorseless psychopath character with no empathy whatsoever so of course when his opponent is for all intents and purposes dead that's when he does a kill shot great character work throughout great selling the snap on that bit with their uh, uh, he must have clicked his fingers at the perfect time to do the bit with um, Hangman Page doing his arm. It just sounded horrible. Like, so much thought went into this. Paced majestically. A minor classic that on any other night would have probably seemed like a better match than even it was. But then he had ZSJ Danielson. Match of the night for me. Like, I loved it. Uh, like, I think they told the story of Swerve. Swerve in the build-up was already confident that the job was done and he had surpassed Hangman Page. And I thought... With the story of this match, he put over the fact that he wasn't as confident as he thought. Mm. Like, the more Page kind of sustained the worst of what he could do, the more he started to doubt himself. I thought that, like, the choice of putting the weapon spot in for the two, like, for the near fall was inspired because the swerve in the build-up would have never needed to rely on that. And watching as the match wore on, I cannot beat this guy. Like, Hangman Page still is him. Like, and this, you know, this plays into Hangman's story as well. His job was to prove that he was still him. And Swerves was saying, no, you're not, I am. And we didn't 
truthfully really get a, f- a, a conclusion from that, you know, because the way the finish played out, obviously Swerve gets the kind of clean win, but like, could he have done it without mm. Prince Nana there and all the sort of disruption going on at the end? Um, we kind of thought that there would be another match in this. There might even be a couple of matches in this. And I do think Swerve is the one that wins outright in the end because I think that's an interesting tale to tell. But I just thought to be able to build it into the body of the match was what impressed me most here. Like, Swerve levelling up didn't just do so because he won this match in kayfabe, but he showed himself to be a really... Like, and if there was doubters, I think he showed himself to be a really intelligent worker here. I think he's he's almost been too spectacular for his own good at times. Like, he is such a popular figure. He's somebody that you love to hear. That if you think back to the reception he got all in, and the fact that he cut a promo to court that reception as well, it's almost like... You're a bit afraid of the heat because you know that you get these fantastic reactions and ultimately the best thing about being a heel as good as you is that long-term there's a babyface turn that's going to be even better. Right now is the time where he should be doubling down on being a heel and I thought that was what struck me the most about the performance here. He was willing to be the villain and do the vicious stuff and do the cruel stuff to prove this point, not just to the fans, which he's been saying in the promo, but like I say, through the match, he was proving it to himself. Mm. This was the least confident I've seen Swerve as this guy that can do it until he actually found himself doing it. How can I put this guy away? You know, like the, I thought the two count, as long as they let it breathe with the buckshot, was super dramatic. Although there was no right to have that much drama when you know that when a wrestler leaves it a while, when Hangman Page went to sell, you know what happens in wrestling. He's going to kick out. I still thought the kick out was mega, mega dramatic. And it was, again, that reminder of, is Swerve on Page's level? And then you got to watch. He probably is. And we're going to see this feud show you that more and more. Love where these characters are at and love that there was still so much left to do. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly, cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market 
And we got Ricky Starks versus Wheelie Skip. <laughs> it's just a match too far. Yeah. It was a match too far, and I think it was so counterproductive to the aim. I think the aim was, we want Ricky Starks in your thoughts as someone who could be on this cusp of the main event. And we're going to give him a win on pay-per-view. How much does that mean? It's big. No, it isn't. It, it, was, a, it was a token, glorified TV match. Almost like condescending. I, I was a, I felt a bit patronized watching this match of, oh, Ricky Starks is the main event. And I'm thinking, is he? Because mm. anyone's reacting to him as such. And I thought the crowd would just, this just felt so token. And I think it was counterproductive. I think Ricky Starks could be as good as he says. And a lot of people, you know, talk themselves up in pro wrestling. I think he's probably, he's one of the more qualified to make that leap over the threshold. But my God, this didn't prove anything. I think it was worse than a nothing match, this. It just proved to me that, you know, you, you don't get Kenny Omega or Danielson having a reaction, like such a quiet reaction mm -hmm. to their pay-per-view matches. So when you have Starks doing it, it just tells me he isn't an Omega or a Danielson. Yeah, it was tell, don't show to the point where it was a little bit fake feeling. Oh. It? Like you knew what you were watching was this. Like halfway through the match, I'm thinking, well, Wheelie is losing because they are telling me to accept that Ricky Starks has learned something from the Brian feud and now he's going to get the win that he deserves. That's, that's all booking stuff. I know that, you know, we analyze this and people that listen and watch, like want to think about this on that level, but you're not supposed to think about it in the body of the match. Mm. You're supposed to think about it either side of it. You know, here's where we review if the booking was good, not when you're midway through the match and you're kind of losing interest and you're thinking about how Ricky Starks is being booked. And to be fair, like the placement of the match, like if you look at what were destined to be the big, big matches on the show, <laughs> the old days, old AW money, this is where you put the women's match. You know, you'd be following one of the bigger matches of the night and they felt as if they were putting this match here to test it and it failed the test. It did, oh. it did not, like, the fans were tired off the back of Hangman and Swerve, and it's like, right, wake him up again. What have you got here? And they failed to do that, and mm. I, I still now can't decide if that's on the wrestlers or on whoever put the card together to say, well, this feud was built, this feud, in inverted commas, this match was built over a promo exchange backstage on Collision last Saturday. Did it ever stand a chance, story-wise, no. of, of following that? It's too bloody long. Where do you put this? On, on telly? Yeah, yeah. Where do yeah. you put this on the Wrestle Dream card? Probably you don't, not on the Wrestle you don't Dream card. Put it on the Wrestle Dream card. Yeah, I, th I think for me as well, it was a. You've already had the kind of surreal dynamic of Swerve heel, but babyface in Seattle versus Hangman Page in the reverse roles. There, also thought, who's who's the babyface in this? Because I I know the BCC are turning babyface, and they've got you know you mentioned before. A bit, I think. Yeah, you mm. mentioned before that there's like you know elements of them that's you know Danielson's you know got that pure side of him and. But there's never been a catalyst for me of like when they were like, oh no, we're coming to save before the Kingston match. And you're like, what's going on here? Why are you suddenly saving people? And then like Claudio, wasn't it? That being, made the the, save, yeah, yeah, being the bad guy for the Kingston match. You uh, as well. And this was like, this was arguably the most fun element of the BCC's heels was just how much of an arsehole Willie Uta was. He was really good at that. And you could kind of, you looked forward to seeing him like get beaten up and get yeah. punished for being such an arsehole. And now, yeah, like you say here, he had to be the babyface by default. I didn't even consider that as an extra problem, that there was, there was no dynamic really to feel out because I don't think the fans cared about either guy. Mm. Like a, a bad night for Ricky Starks if he's still a project. Uh, if if he's still a project. Uh, right, we're here, Sige. I'm going to put my feet up for a bit. Okay. Uh, Is there any questions? We'll get some more, but I want to get your thoughts on this because I sense it's going to be a catalyst for lots more questions. Yeah. Brian Danielson, Zack Sabre Jr. Match of the year? Match of the year. Match of the year. <laughs> uh, look, it's either, <laughs> it's either Osprey Omega 1 or Danielson Sabre Jr. 
just a quick summary of my thoughts on the star rating approach or what I deem to be a great match. Ultimately, it's a visceral gut feeling. Yeah. I like to go by genre. I think there's such a thing as a five-star comedy match that gets demonized within critical circles. So on that level, right, if I'm thinking about it, and that's not the point, I don't think, but if I am thinking about it, um, Omega Osprey won, phenomenal though it was, I've probably seen a better New Japan main event style match, and, you know, it's Omega uh, Okada 4. Mm. Have, I, have I seen a better technical wrestling match than this in my life? I, I, I highly doubt it. It was just absolutely incredible. Like, Brian Danielson was so good in this match, and Sabre Jr. was wonderful as well, but, like... I watch, I'm going to watch people after this. This match is going to live very long in my memory that I'm going to think, and this is probably not fair, I'm going to think less of other wrestlers for not being Danielson. Like, he's <laughs> levels above absolutely, like, everybody in terms of how he puts his matches together, how convincingly he sells, what he does, which he has no right to do. As an example, right, early in the match, Zack Sabre Jr. has got, like, a hammerlock on. To reverse the pressure of that hold and to twist out of it, uh, Danielson drops down to the mat. He's about to spring himself back up with both arms, and he goes, oh, I can't use it because he knows it's broken. That was the key thread of the match. The more you left it vulnerable, that body part to Zack Sabre Jr., the more in trouble he was. This is a man so genius that he worked, convincingly, I might add, like a momentary lapse in concentration. Like, it was imperceptible. Like, he does it. If you go back and watch the first two minutes, you'll see the spot I'm talking about. Doesn't even qualify as a spot. It's just a blink and you'll miss a moment where you oh, can't use it. He's working that obviously because he's trying to implant in your head the idea and show you, not tell you, there's nothing histrionic about the selling here. He's showing you like imperceptibly that you can't do this thing. It was so immersive and so realistic. God, it got so vicious. <laughs> I got the just bleed effect from it. I watched it for a second time on my lunchtime yesterday. And I know the result. Brian Danielson won. Some of the pins that Zack Sabre Jr. applied on Danielson in this match were so hermetically sealed that I thought I had to finish. Eight minutes in, you know from the rhythm of a wrestling match if you try and use your rational mind. And of course, on a rewatch, I am going to use that. I don't want to, but it's just you're not swept up in the live feeling of it. You're going to rationalize. Oh, I can tell by the rhythm of the match and how these things go that when I'm not suspending my disbelief and I'm caught up in the live moment, it would be really anticlimactic in the rhythm of a pro wrestling match if it was to end here. Mm. The application of technique was just so unbelievable that I thought the finish was happening like everywhere. Here's an analogy. That doesn't quite work, but it almost does, right? Cattle mutilation. Think of, like, you love the cribs. Mm. Have they got a song? Oh, the work, yeah. Yes. <laughs> it could be any rock band. They got a song in their back catalogue that they very rarely play live, but everyone loves it, and they just dust it off as a treat. Yeah, it's called Anna. Right. Yep. Would you be annoyed if you went to see them and they played like a few bars of the riff and then just stopped? Yeah. Yeah. I'd be devastated. They did that with Cattle Mutilation. <laughs> and it's something that Danielson, Fiends, and Sickles love that move. <laughs> he applied it for half a second, <laughs> and Sabre Jr. reversed it before it was even applied. Biggest, most popular cult favorite deep cut of Danielson's career. You got half a second of it, and the fans didn't resent him for not applying it. They could have teased that out. There's such law of that move. People think it's so cool. They could have done a two-minute 
really like Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania 21 style sell where he's flailing in it and you think, oh, he's going to tap and they register the drama from that move. It took half a second and he reversed it. Like the idea is that this was so good that they didn't have to do these like really labored, prolonged, sort of really theatrical moments of drama because it was so dedicated to the pursuit of feeling so real, so combative mm. and so urgent I, I just I, I fell in love with that spot or the fact that they didn't do it. It was absolutely incredible. And the fact that Sabre Jr. located a way to counter it within less than a second conveyed the story of he has been in his head idly thinking, I could get Danielson at one point and I'm just going to prepare for him. I'm just going to prepare for him in my I need to know how to defeat the dragon when in fact I get my opportunity to do it. It felt like a match that they'd each studied for, for yeah. a span of years, thinking that one day this match will come and I have to be ready to do it. And people talk about stories. It's not a three-month plotted thing. That can be the best story in pro wrestling. On a gut level, I watched this and it was so nasty and so dramatic and so intricate. It barely felt like a performance, and yet it wasn't so up its own arse that they were just trying to do really cool limb work and stuff. Like, in my gut, that's one of the very best things I've ever seen. Just in terms of how understated it was, how elegant and intricate it was, I was just, I was floored. It's ruined wrestling for me this <laughs> It was wonderful. It was yeah. so nice to watch. Um, I don't think I enjoyed it as viscerally as Sidge did, but I, those imperceptible moments, the more I'm reflecting, I haven't watched it twice yet, but I definitely will watch it again this week. And the more it's better the second time. The more I reflect on things, one of my favorite things in, in my one watch of it was, um, I, I love this move when Zack Sabre Jr. does it, but Danielson wouldn't allow for it, and Zack Sabre Jr. remembered it. When he does the trapping pinfall and folds back with his arms folded like that, Danielson wouldn't give him it because, don't take the piss out of me, kid. Yeah. Like, I love that, like, he, I, I think he gave him a one count on it, and then it was, like, out of it, and then in the next thing. Like, sometimes, like, Zack Sabre Jr. is beating people with that. That's why he's cocky enough to do it, because they're yeah. so locked down at that point. He can have the go to be like, I'm so much better than you. I'm going to fold my arms and pose as I'm pinning you. And Brian's like, not with me, mate. And then I think he goes back to it one more time, but at this point, like, the arm's weaker, and he can't quite do it. So he has to, he has to tighten it up, and he has to seal him mm. in. There's lots of lovely moments like that. I, I imagine that I'm going to have to go back and watch. Um... So this isn't a complaint, it's a comment. I didn't really care who won. I didn't, as as they got down the stretch, I wasn't bothered. You're a psychopath. I wasn't bothered. You are I've, I've uh, discovered over the past two weeks that you have no empathy and you have traits consistent with a psychopath. I didn't, Danielson's arm was hanging off. He was selling it like he was about to get completely I, broken. And I think as a result of that, like I was probably... I was going to say, I, I was probably rooting more for Zack Sabre Jr. That's not true, because I wasn't really rooting for either man. I was just enjoying watching it. I wasn't bothered, as it was clear that we were heading towards the finish. I was like, somebody's going to win, somebody's going to lose. Like, I didn't sort of, I wasn't, like, thinking of the ramifications of, like, or, like, something's got to give here. Like, Brian's going to, what's it going to mean for Brian to lose this if he's, like, if he can't be the proven best technical wrestler of all time? I was just, I was really engaged in the work and I was liking watching it. I could have, this is a compliment to them. I could have watched another 10 minutes of it. I could have watched another four hours of this. Easily. It was <laughs> so, like, it's that liquid pro wrestling that you get from Zack Sabre Jr. and Brian Danielson getting to flex this side of it because he can do it all. He can do all of it. So, like, you don't always get this side of him. So that was great to see. Um, I'll tell you what I loved. This was intentionally, like, what should be the driest style of pro wrestling and is, it was made stunning by two guys in neon gear. 
Like Danielson in his Seahawks stuff and Zack Sabre Jr. in his bright orange. They never wear that stuff. This should have been Burgundy versus Black Trunks. And it was this was a boots and trunks match, and they looked like early night is WCW Saturday night Steiner brothers out there. Like that was weird. And I got a lot of joy out of that because I like wrestling attire. Um I would watch this again. I didn't love it as much as the Swerve Hangman match. It was lovely. It was just I was very Lenny in the Simpsons. Kind of all the way through. And that, <laughs> and that was a really nice experience. I did just bleed and just come. <laughs> uh, what's just come? Uh, Kaylee, oh, I'm sorry. Kaylee, <laughs> sorry. Kaylee says, uh, Wilborn asks Sage about the fundamentals of this match. Ah, uh, great fundamentals. <laughs> great fundamentals. I could do some things with you. Uh, there's some of those uppercuts on that engine. Uh, a little reckless, boy. Make an awful lot of money with a tactical British skinny man. Yeah. <laughs> Make a lot of money with a human udon noodle. I hope that Zach Sabre Jr. remembers his ex-password, because I want to get on there and have him see, read all those compliments. People are paying so much compliments to Zach. Get on there. Check it out. People love you. A uh, few more Catch questions. on the notifications. More questions to run through. Black Torch says, could you see Swerve versus Stocks, Starks for a shot at the world title before winter is coming? Ooh. I... I don't know. You want to be careful with... They're the two projects. They're the two, I would call them threshold wrestlers. Have you got it? Have you got it? Can you be good enough to be Danielson? No. Next question. (laughs) Can you be good enough where it's like, it's inconceivable that your name would not be in the first three big matches of the pay-per-view? Are you that good? Are you Omega? Are you Danielson? Are you MJF? Are you Jericho? I don't think Jericho's there, but he's going to be there. Mm. Good enough to supplant him. I don't necessarily think putting them two together in the same match is the best idea. Starks is one for me for Winter is Coming because I think the symmetry is quite yeah, nice. Yeah, I like that. Swerve, right? For all that there's more to do with Hangman Page, I think he should try and avoid that. Like, he should. He saw Hangman Page as stepping stone and he stepped over him. So this feud isn't over, but I would like them to arrive at the next match organically. Mm. Swerve should be done with it. And it should be Hangman Page that has to get that match and prove himself all over again. So I'd love it if they did actually position Swerve against somebody else, if only to buy you, say, like, get to Revolution, maybe mm. before they have the next match, because almost he can flip it and say, well, now, Page, you've got to work back up to me. And that's how you get back there. I, they could absolutely just reheat this on Dynamite, but I sort of hope they don't. I'd be worried about the story as well. Like, I've believed it was Swerve because they've put the onus on Paige as a character-lacking motivation, not on Tony Khan as a booker-lacking yeah. focus. I would worry these two have got a tendency, and again, it's not really top guy stuff, of, like, complaining about the opportunities they have or haven't had received. I do not need to see volleys of that mm. on TV. Like, tell a proper fictional story. Yeah. I don't know that these two are capable of doing it, uh, particularly when opposition with each other. Lots of variations on this uh, same question, basically, from the likes of Dave the Noob, Brian Weedig, so many people basically saying, what's Danielson's last match? Look, this is not the most glamorous answer, right? But if you look at the resource they've put into all of this, like, who is it? Benno from the Grapple podcast which you should check out mm. after all of ours, <laughs> <laughs> said that the Wheeler Utah push is possibly the most expensive in history. <laughs> like, they are putting the full weight of Mox and Danielson pretty much behind Utah. They, are, they haven't gone since 2020 with Mox as the top guy. Mm. 
they've never really done that with Danielson. Brian Danielson, he's like the best of all time, not named Omega. They'll never put him over as the absolute mountain you have to scale to be at the top of AEW because he is at the top. A lot of this has gone into Wheeler Utah. And maybe the best way of really just trying to see if it was worth the investment is having you to go over him after like within a calendar year. I, I know it's not glamorous. I know it's not necessarily a dream match. I know that for me, I think Willie Ute has got all the talent in the world. Has he justified that loss to Mox, that vehicle that's been strapped to him? I would say no. Danielson's an old romantic and he loves to lose. Um, there, is an in, there is an incredible story to tell with McGuinness. For all my criticisms of him trying to work his own angle right now, I don't to, think he's working his own angle right now. You get now. to Wembley in a, like just under a year's time and you might as well replay the entire Last of McGuinness documentary on YouTube as the build because him, like the real-life heartbreak of him watching Brian win the belt when he cashed in on the big show in 2010, 2011. And he 2011. Was, he was this close. They went for the same medical and Brian lied and, Daniel, and uh, McGuinness didn't and look at our different paths it's like, so you know what I'm going to do? Such a great story. It's an amazing fact, story. It's a story. So what I'm going to do is retire you, and this is how I get my revenge. This is how I finally get my pound of flesh all these years later. You know they want to do it. There's ROH law out the ass. If you're going to do gross headbutt stuff, at least do it when you're heading out anyway. Just don't can, do it. Just tease it. Uh, yeah, te- I don't need it, but people will tease want it. it. Sickos want it. But like, um, I, there is an incredible story to tell there uh, that will... At first, scare people like, but it happened in Ring of Honor decades ago, you know, like there. But you can get people caught speed very, very quick. Those people, <laughs> and uh, and you know, McGuinness, that gear picture, he got himself into shape for a reason. And unfortunately, that re- like we were at the press conference in Vegas when um, ah, Stephanie Chase maybe asked about Danielson and McGuinness, and he kind of buried him. Now he's finished. That oh, was nice. It was a good run, but he's he's finished. They know what they're doing. Yeah, that match is for a very big stage. Let's move on to the six-man tag siege. Uh, Don Callis family, Kanosuke Takeshita, Will Ospreay, and Sammy Guevara versus Chris Jericho and the Golden Elite. Uneven. The best bits bordered on incredible, but it wasn't in itself an incredible match. Jury's still out for uh, Kota Ibushi for you? Oh, no. He's not the same. It's, uh, it's reached a point now when it's like really weird and bleak if you think about it, roundabout way, where my expectations for of all wrestlers Kota Ibushi have been lowered to such an extent that when he enters what I would refer to as a respectable, possible performance, I'm overjoyed for him. This was, I think, respectable. It was nowhere near as bad as Blood and Guts because you hadn't Mm -hmm. seen the sobering reality for the first time. You've had a chance to adjust. I thought he did the cross uh, slash really well. The Murder Boy stuff didn't really scan as like this shredded guy with more muscles than anyone Going, the only person who could ever, without descending into cringe, going to that place is Kota Ibushi. It's like a tribute spot. It's somewhere between his very best and heroes of wrestling. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. um, he's got to be scary to pull it off, and he's not He's a not scary, scary guy now. So I will yeah. say Will Ospreay's sell in that sequence was absolutely phenomenal. He gets the praise he gets for a reason, Will Ospreay. Um, it's kind of like uh, Roger Federer, Djokovic, changing of the guard. <laughs> <laughs> where it's like, oh, not him. Yeah. Like, he's really good, but like, uh, he can't have that many more five star <laughs> matches than Kenny. <laughs> the shooting star press from Sammy to, like, God bless Kenny Omega. Mm. He doesn't go, mm. yeah, he just, <laughs> I'm going to catch you. He's just like, right, here's my full body. <laughs> it just makes it's it. called these 
moves are called presses. Yeah. Press yourself onto me, and I'll just do a flat back because I'm a lunatic. Um, the one winged angel, Hurricane Ravana, uh, Hurricane Rana reversal over the ropes to do the sky twister press made me want that singles match again more than anything Omega and Takeshita did, which is possibly not great. Um, storytelling, yeah, very, very, very good. Greatness eluded it as it did the next match. I, I was funny mentioned about Omega Takeshita. Omega Takeshita is a singles feud. And uh, Jericho and Guevara as a singles feud weren't furthered by the interactions between those wrestlers in this match. Well, they were and like Jericho and no, Guevara. As a story, they were. I, I, my sort of my oh, aspirations yeah, yeah, to yeah. see them weren't furthered. Sorry, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, the match was laid out to get you hyped for these showdowns again, and I kind of think the action failed the layout a little bit. It was the finish was a bit busy. Like, I got, obviously, you know, they would find the distraction, make the time for Callis to get the baseball bat in. But that was, like, a little bit sluggish in how it all played out and a bit bit obvious, bit petrolly. And, like, it just, I don't know, I don't, I was really high on Jericho Guevara. Uh, and I'm less so off the back of this match. Could we go over the two minutes we have left of the hour? Oh, yeah. Okay, not too much longer. I've got things to do. <laughs> um, here's a question for you, oh, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. Here's a question oh, wait, for you, wait. right? Chris Jericho. Yeah. Did he do? Sure is a question. Did he do the kick out of the code breaker at one for reason A or B? It's time to play the game. <laughs> you should do this. Time, time, to, play time to play the game. Did it? Did it? Did it? Did it? What was his motivation? Did he do it, A, because Omega did it at Forbidden Door, and that's drawing them together in storylines. They now have something in common. Yeah. They don't like their big moves being done to them. Was it a conscious attempt to draw them together in this can they coexist? Stop shaking your f***ing head, Wilborn. Honestly, I'm getting bullied by these Vincels on this f***ing podcast all week. Where's your good pen? Or B, it's, I don't know. Oh. I just so saw that. Asked that earlier, yeah. Or... Hmm. Did he see it at Forbidden Dawn? Went, I'll have that some one. of that. That one. Think or was it a bit of both? Or was it plausible deniability? Maybe, yeah. yeah. Chris Jericho's kind of the last guy to uh, tell you it's B, but it's actually A. Yes. <laughs> or other way around, yeah. What now, do the comment section think? I'm genuinely interested in this. It, it's Is me. Jericho a cloud vampire? It's one, and he's going to pretend to the end that it was the other. Plausible deniability, yeah. of course. <laughs> of course. Let's talk uh, FTR. They faced Aussie Open for the AW Tag Team titles. High expectations going into this one after the previous one and just didn't really live up to it. Let's not be ghouls. Let's not show characteristics with a psychopath and lack empathy here. Mark Davis snapped his wrist during this match. But it wasn't so great that when something obviously had gone awry, it was like, oh, no, they were really doing something special. A weird parallel between Danielson and Okada in that respect. Mm. Um, Ultimately, uh, I can't really critique it. You know what I mean? In good faith or with a conscience because someone got significantly injured, gutted it out. But I think even if that injury hadn't happened, I don't think as a conceptual match layout, this was particularly, like, great. I don't think this was... Even if this was not in that backdrop of an exhausted crowd and the injury hadn't happened, I don't think, ideas-wise, this was particularly so hot that it would have stood out as a classic match in the most favorable circumstances. Like, we saw the match at All In between the Bucks and FTR. Mostly, mostly fantastic. A lot of finisher theft happened in there. And the idea is that these teams have this really begrudging respect 
that they kind of have to do. And I really like that story beat here. FTR kind of, like hacks, do it in every single match. I, every single big match they do. You're not going to believe it. But guess what? If, if you do our finish, the, the, you know, the punters will lose their minds. It's like, well, that because it happens in every single match. They don't care about star ratings, though. That's the good thing about them. But you know what I mean? It's like I've a month removed from All In where you really laid that one on thick. So like, who's your legacy feud with? I understand you want to build your legacy. Because I get told that every week. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I ain't no builder. <laughs> isn't that spot where, God, we respect you so much. You are fiercest legacy rivals that, my God, I don't like to do it. But you're so good. I'm going to take one of your weapons and use it myself. You kind of do that in every match. <laughs> not every match has to be a classic. Not every rivalry you have has to be this big career-defining legacy. Otherwise, it just becomes a lot of hollow, you know what I mean, like acclaim-based. Like they want everything to be epic. They want every rivalry they have to be this legendary That's thing. It. And it's getting a bit off-putting for me. And maybe it wasn't just the fact that this followed two unbelievable back-to-back -back matches. Maybe it's getting a little bit transparent. Certainly it is for me. You're supposed to have over an entire career maybe one, like one or two legacy rivals and then a bunch of ones underneath. They are trying the hardest to have like legacy rivals with everybody they face. Oh, and it's when, getting a bit much like... And when you're not a legacy rival in a big feud, they want every sort of title run to be the, the legacy run here. Remember that run where we were beating guys on collision that you never even heard of and we were giving them these great 10-minute epics and all that sort of stuff? Kind yeah. of the Mick Foley and Steve Austin and The Undertaker and The Rock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, I don't know much about the attitude here, but here's all the wrestlers from it. Like, it's just, this was, this was good moves happening in front of me. It was more than moves happening in front of me, but they were only just good ones. Some of them weren't even great. Like, but that's because Mark Davis snapped his wrist in two. Yeah. It was, but the thing is, he didn't snap it in the lockup. Like, this was pretty drab before he broke his arm. I, 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 the chops with Davis and Harwood were like, like I was, uh, you can sort of, <laughs> you know, that thing about Meltzer says it about Moxley and Ishii, where he was like, how many seconds was it? And 17. Was, 17. <laughs> Great. So, for context, on Observer Radio at the time, the G1 match, Dave Meltzer said that he knew that Ishii versus Mox from 2017, 2019. 2019, yeah. Uh, it was a five-star match within 17 seconds. And was, I love the specificity. And he was right. right? I was right. And this one could have gone on for 17 hours and it wouldn't have been like anywhere near as good. Like you could just feel it in the first few minutes. Fans weren't up for it. Yeah. Nothing that the wrestlers were doing in that early stage kind of like made you think they might be. Don't put Jericho, don't put the sex cards over Aussie Open so close to this as well. Aussie I Open. I think Tony, Tony, Tony <laughs> yeah. can had a bit of a mare in he terms did. of mapping everything out. Any other team could have done that job. I think they thought they were getting away with it with Aussie Open and that people would just forget that they were taking these pretty heavy losses because of the the legacy, to go back to that word, of this big match from last year. I'll go year. back to that word. <laughs> I just, I, it was hard to feel much for it. You could sort of, you could, I hate, I feel so sorry for the wrestlers when this is happening. You could almost see the wrestlers trying to extract greatness from this match that's oh, never going to come. God, and I... it's tiring. It's really tiring to watch and you feel such sympathy for these incredible athletes hurting themselves for it. It just, we were talking about the shatter machine that must have been so difficult to execute with a broken arm. It didn't look very good. And they replayed it. It's like, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, the hide this stuff. The finish looked awesome, though. Yeah. Kyle Fletcher took that bump like a champ. Mm. The uh, votes are in, and uh, yeah, uh, Chris Jericho's a cloud vampire. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Bachelor in MBS writes, Jericho was actually one of the first uh, to do one second kickouts and big finishes. <laughs> uh, and Just Dowell asks, and I feel like you should probably take this one, Sige. Uh, do you think Dax plays Bones? <laughs> 
I play Bond. <laughs> play Bond. Oh, that's why I got the dead man's respect. I got everyone's respect. Kind of last guy. Legacy demands respect. Both the uh, my favorite domino is the double one. Why? Because <laughs> that one's me, and that one's cash. <laughs> It was young books, double sixes, too many dots. <laughs> yes, <laughs> dot fist, <laughs> dot monkeys. <laughs> All right, let's get That's so stupid. <laughs> FTR, more like BSK. <laughs> That's hey, 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 hey. Three letters. Vibing with you. <laughs> I want to take you to the wrestler's court. <laughs> the verdict is innocent. You have my respect. <laughs> But they hate the road dog, so you know it's, uh, people. Yeah, yeah so I do, right? that's he doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Main event time. <laughs> I don't. Uh, hey, Dave, man, what you make of FTR? I don't think much of Dax, but uh, I like something about what I heard about Cash lately. <laughs> <laughs> Got any knives as well? Good. Use more guys like you in the locker rooms these days. I prefer Jack. <laughs> Whiskey, it's all the same thing. Come here, man. You got my respect. <laughs> that guy, you take a firearm or a beach. Good choice. Some sharks are coming for your wife. You protect your goddamn family. Give that <laughs> the shadow machine. <laughs> <sighs> right. <laughs> Well, I ain't no dead man. <laughs> I ain't no marine biologist, but that man's coming for my wife. I ain't no basking shark. <laughs> In a shot machine on a shark. Let's do a doomsday device. You'll never see it coming. <laughs> it's legacy tag stuff against a shark. And the shark is a shot machine box that happens in every FTR match. <laughs> hey, shark, you even seen the DIY series? Get two shark. We'll reach their fins out. Put them in some. <laughs> Uh. <laughs> uh, right, it's the main yeah, event. Yeah, yeah, I've got to go home soon. Um, oh. I feel a bit bad for, for Darby Allen. Not only did he lose this match, not only was he betrayed by his mate, uh, not, but not only did he shatter his back with some preposterous spots on the stairs, but it's all forgotten about because everyone's talking about the arrival of, of Adam Copeland. The edger. The edger. Tell you what, right, yes, you know, there was always going to be the conversation surrounding Copeland. But once that subsides a bit and he becomes a regular fixture, I think people will f look back very, very favorably on this main event. And Darby Allens, yes, again, he was in Seattle. Give wrestlers shortcuts. It's a work, goddammit. A worthy pay-per-view headliner for me. I love the story here. Didn't see it coming either, and I should have. Christian, the hypocritical arsehole, had buried Darby Allen in the build as the garbage wrestler. He then gets out-wrestled by Darby Allen with a really, really clever bit of baby face, being smart with a turtleneck. And Christian goes, eh, okay, I'll just gobble wrestle you then. And then just like <laughs> cheat and be a dick and all the rest of it. Like what a hypocritical dickhead. It was absolutely wonderfully sort of done in the body of the match. There's a spot that I thought was so good. Not just the technical execution and the timing, but how it serves the story where Christian goes for the spear. Just bulldog reversal. It's like he's literally not just out wrestling you, which you said he couldn't do. He just made you his bitch. So good. The bumps are going to overshadow it as well. Like, that's one of the most demented slash idiotic slash brilliant things I've ever seen. Um, I'm surprised it's taken this long for something to go that awry. Apparently, he does have, um, well, rumored injury stemming from the match. Um, I just thought the match deserved a little bit of analysis before we talk yeah, about yeah, the yeah. Ed, that edger. Because uh, I thought it was really, really well put together. And Christian... 
He's just such a smart, smart wrestler. Like, really, like... Like, sometimes I watch him, I think he's such a knob, and I think, that's your job. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. That is your job. It's, um, yeah, it's, I think it's testament to where Christian is at this point as well, that although it's really hard to escape the reality of why this was main eventing, like, I think Christian did such a good job that you could buy Darby Allen as having his first main event and the TNT title somehow being all the marbles. You know, the world title wasn't on the line. This got to take its place, and Christian wrestled in such a way that you bought this, and you know... Where it's last because Edge is here. They're not yeah. going to debut him in the mid card. It's really hard to escape that feeling, and yet in the body of the match, they did it. They achieved that. I didn't love, like, if I'm going to nitpick, I didn't love, like, repeating the spot, but I do understand why that spot particularly needed to be repeated. Like, the the side angle on from the Darby Allen bump into the stairs was just disgusting. <laughs> like, there's one of the mental images from the show that's going to stick with me, and, you know, as powerful as that was. So it's like, and it was in a main event for a title. They say, make them worth it, and that was absolutely worth it, I think. Um, I, I should have predicted. I was kind of kicking myself that I didn't predict pinfall win, count out win for the one one. When you watch it play, like of course, of course, that's going to be how we're going to get to the deciding fall. And for like a very like Russo esque pivot the hips attitude era turn that we could all have seen coming, I thought it was really effective nonetheless. The crowd really came up for Nick Wayne. Yeah. Have they not been watching the show? Like I, I kind of <laughs> loved it. Like and like Nick Wayne's contact, the connection of the shot was really vicious. Putting his mom there. Yeah. You like, think he's not going to turn in front of his mom. They I thought they did a good job to kind of walk you away from what had felt sort of obvious. Yeah. Fun, fun obvious. You know, you want to see this. Oh no, he's not going to go with him. Is yeah. He? But like I thought they did a really effective job of something that was very pro wrestling. Puts over as well in retrospect. The finish of the Derby Nick Wayne match where he's just stomping on his head. Yeah. It's like, don't be cruel because if you're all cruel, he's going to go with the winner. And he did. You know, um, so mine is Jeff Jarrett take a uh, guitar shot to the head. What's the wrestling move you want to take? We've talked about this before. There's like wrestling moves you would actually I want to take a table bump. Table bump, right? A new one for me. So is, yeah, everyone's going to think I'm a dick, but a table bump. The Christian Spear onto the lovely folded over padding. Like the referee got to land on that nice big cushioned bit of canvas. <laughs> like really soft what he was landing on. Another thing, Christian has got an incredible wrestling IQ. I've seen people cut up the ring, and it takes ages, <laughs> and it's really distracting. Doing that as you're like, oh, it's Darby Allen, okay. It's like really, in terms of timing, how to do that spot was excellent. Hiding in plain sight. Indeed. Uh, Jeff Raidmaker. We'll, we'll get to the ed- de- edger in a second. But the pitch black guy, any the Mountain Dew guy. Legend, Jeff. Thank Cheers, you, Jeff. Jeff. Um, is Christian doing the best work of his career right yes, now? Yes, by some distance. Uh, and if so, is it because he's been given the freedom that WWE doesn't allow or because he needs to get this age to find his peak? Uh, a bit of both. Let's yeah. blame WWE for it. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> like, he's, again, like the value of having someone that clever and that you know, experienced is that you're going to get work of this caliber. Um, he's always f- been up there for me, you know. He's always been great. He's great. always found ways to get over in WWE as well. Like, he, he people forget that Christian was there when they were vaguely competent. <laughs> and when they were, when and when they were, in fact, incredible at what they did. Um, so, a combination of everything, but this version of WWE would never let this version of Christian be Christian. And you know what? Maybe that's. A great reason why alternative competition exists. Uh, Axel plays nice segue. This said, I had the same feeling when Edge came out as when Cole and Danielson arrived. People love the Edge here. I'm not just saying this now that he's an AW, right? <laughs> I'm not because if you listen to the podcast for the past three years, and thank you all of you who did, I buried the guy and I was cr- cringed at a lot of what he did. 
because I can be objective at times, I have said that when we were at the Clash at the Castle, mm-hmm. that edge pop didn't dwarf, but I think it it was louder than it was for Danielson at WrestleMania 30 when I went to New Orleans. I remember you saying, yeah. It was yeah. un... It's probably the loudest I've... Other than Wembley, the loudest wrestling reaction I've ever heard in the flesh. Like, people love Edge. Not the television audience particularly, <laughs> but the people who are going to watch wrestling anyway. Mm-hmm. I don't think, he's a, I don't think he's, it's an incidental answer to a question no one's asked. I don't necessarily think he's going to move the needle there. I don't. All TV evidence over the past three years indicates the opposite might be true. The people who are going to watch it anyway... They adore Edge. They just adore him. I want him to be funny again. And I think he will. There's a generation of wrestling fans that like loved Edge for, say, the, like, the actual era peak with Christian. But also... tell uh, those who need to know that I'm going to be a little bit later than usual. Of a certain age, were kind of like relying on Edge to be the antithesis of John Cena, who they were sick of. And if they were like... Of, if they were in their formative years watching Edge, he was so much cooler and so much funnier than John Cena, than babyface Dave Batista, mm. than Triple H, than the guy, the Randy Orton, Jesus Christ. Then, like, the guy, like, Rated RKO was good because of him, not because of Randy Orton slapping on a headlock. Like, so he was this one guy that felt genuinely different to all the rest because he had such great patter, because he was willing to send himself up, but because he was such a ring general in so many different settings. And I think that generation didn't get what they wanted from Edge's return, other than the Rumble pop. Like, you didn't... That feeling, that pop at the Rumble He used to have a personality, and he didn't really show it. It was yeah. rooted in that. It was rooted in that love that they had for him in the, those mid-2000s WWE doldrum years. Edge was, like, a little bit of a splash of colour for a while. Yeah. And AEW, like, is absolutely more the place where that can be expressed than WWE. Definitely. I think it'll take him a while to realise that. Same with Christian. Pretty yeah. boring at the start, quite frankly. Yeah. And now look at him. Uh, I thought the video package was dumb, quite honestly. Like, it didn't connect with me. Did and the stadium happen to be there, or was it uh, in effect? Was it trying to symbolise I'm going away from WWE? Because it's like, well, that looks massive. <laughs> <laughs> stadium <laughs> erupting in fireworks. Why are you driving past that? Yeah. Um, and the, the setting of it, like, the waiting around for Edge stuff was, it was odd. Sting had basically made the save and completed the save. I am the ultimate... Don't even have your entrance music. If you only if you're stone cold, are you allowed to do that? Mm. It's a debut. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm fine. I like it was. It was just. It was a bit bit cheesy. But Edge is a bit cheesy as well, so he'll yeah. he'll like that. Uh, before we finish up here, <laughs> so I did it. Since uh, <laughs> we were watching this earlier, it's been sent in by Jose Palomares at the Ho Eleven on Twitter. He often helps with the um, data. Thank you for uh, our ladies' night section of uh, Dynamite previews and reviews. Christian versus Brian Alvarez. Yeah, the media scrum burial thoughts. Mm. Like I tell you what, with Christian, he's just so good at what he does as a heel. Even if you know it was the real life personality amplified, um, like I just thought it was so cruel. Yeah, and like, oh god, like I felt awkward watching it. And it's like, oh, that's what you meant to make. I meant to think you're a dick, and he just came off as the biggest dick in the planet. But fine. Yeah, I, I like Brian, Brian Alvarez though. He's a very funny bloke. In character stuff in press conferences, that's a, another podcast, isn't it? But if you're going to do that, at least make it effective and make it funny. And Probably this, not this the most that. memorable moment to the uh, AEW press conference. Yeah, though. if I had to, more things spring to mind for me personally. Uh, yeah, I think you didn't you ask a question once. Yeah, I asked um, MGF um, if there was anyone in particular he wanted to uh, face at Forbidden Door. But before I even got the, the, the question out, he, he said. Um, one of the only professional wrestling podcasts that's actually worth a f- 
good, yeah. yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah. Just to before we, very quickly, Dave the Noob and TM, thank you for this. Apparently, the stadium was real. Uh, Derby said at the media scrum, it was a complete coincidence. The local team won a game that night. Right, because I'm thinking, I thought, because I'm pretentious, that it was a symbolic way of saying, leaving the big time behind to come to... Don't need all that pyro. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Razzmatazz. Yeah, which may look like, well, what does that think of AEW? <laughs> yeah. well, I'm completely wrong. So that's fine. Uh, right, well, uh, this has been the AW Wrestle Dream Review. Do let us know your thoughts in the YouTube comment section or on uh, at WhatCultureWWE. You actually can uh, follow all three of us. You can follow Michael Hamflet at... Michael Hamflet. You can follow Michael Sidgwick at... M. Sidgwick. I thought you were going to do the camera. <laughs> looks like the right... Yeah, yeah. Follow Michael Sidgwick at... M. Sidgwick. You can follow me at Adam Wilmore. Follow us all at What Culture WWE. And thank you to everyone who's joined us today uh, in the comment section. If you haven't done so already, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling Podcast on like YouTube. More like this. Uh, I should point out as well. Put this date in your diary. Well, put this one in first. Tuesday, October the 10th. That's a week today. Uh, where we'll be doing the first live Raw review the launch. on the channel. The launch. We're launching it. Daily video podcast. Still be coming out as audio podcast as well, but Monday we'll be doing a Q&A. Tuesday, Raw Review. Wednesday, NXT Review. Thursday, Dynamo Review. And Friday, Wrestle Culture. And do join us for What Culture Wrestling Podcast Live, our live show that is coming your way Tuesday, November 21st. Ticket information will be announced very soon, so make sure you subscribe to the channel. Follow us all on uh, social media to hear more about that. Not as- Instagram. As when that information <laughs> comes out. But once again, thank you to everyone for joining us. My thanks to the Dadly Voice. Thanks to our lovely producer, Adam Nicholas. Thank you for joining us. And we will see you soon. Mom deserves the best. And there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.